Welcome to the LaughSpin.com podcast. Hey guys, what's up? It's Dylan from LaughSpin.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the LaughSpin podcast. This one is a really exciting one. I'm incredibly pleased to bring this one to you. This is uh, my interview with Judd Apatow, the one and only Judd Apatow. I recently sat down with him on the set of the film he's shooting now. You probably know it, Trainwreck, starring Amy Schumer, who also wrote the script. So he was nice enough to allow me to sit in his air-conditioned trailer on Staten Island, where they were shooting that day. And at the time of the recording, they had about eight more days left to shoot. So they've been shooting this thing for a pretty long time. So not only did I get to sit down with Judd, but I also got to kind of hang around and do some observing. Bill Hader was there. They were shooting a a driving scene, uh, Bill Hader and Amy Schumer. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this uh, in the interview. What else can I say? I mean, Judd is the guy. He's the comedy guy. I mean, this is a guy that started out as just a super fan, a super fan. His 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 mom, when he was very young, worked at a, uh, a comedy club. That's how he kind of got exposed to, to live stand-up comedy. He hosted his own uh, little chat show in high school, and he cold-called, like, just all these legendary comedians, like... Uh, Steve Allen and he interviewed Howard Stern and John Candy and Stephen Wright and Jerry Seinfeld just all these all these monsters of, of comedy because he was just such a huge fan and one of the great things about Judd is, you know, having, you know, sat down with him for a, a little while in between in, in between takes on the set is he is such he's such a huge fan. He's still a fan, even though he's in it. And he's the one now influencing a generation of uh, comedians and comedic actors and comedy filmmakers, even though he's the guy doing that he is still such a huge fan of comedy and that's why he's uh he's recently started doing stand up again he started when he was 17 years old doing stand up and of course he found lots of success off of the the stand up stage so that's why one of the reasons he you know sort of stopped doing stand up that's it i'll shut up and uh we'll 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 get on to the interview with judd so here we go first of all thank you so much for taking the time and for your support of laughspin happy to be here we are on the set of train wreck starring amy schumer what have you done today so far on this movie uh, today we uh we shot an opening shot of amy on the staten island ferry very glamorous <laughs> helicopter shot uh a la working girl and now we're shooting uh uh, a sequence of uh, Amy fantasizing what it'll be like to uh, be married and have children. Uh huh. Fantasizing or? Well, we can't say. You'll see <laughs> when you see the movie. <laughs> we don't want to give away the, the secrets no. of Trainwreck. No, we don't. We don't. You have what? About a week? A week left to we film? We have uh, eight days left. So you're almost you're almost at the tail end of this. This is. You can see the end. We're proud of what we've done, and uh, we hope we don't screw up anything in the last eight days. <laughs> it's like a runner 
who's run a marathon and then shits themselves like a mile before the finish line and has to just struggle yeah. to get over. We hopefully we won't shit ourselves. But you know when you when you see that marathoner shitting himself and running, you're you're rooting for him even harder though, aren't you? That's how we are. We hope you root for us <laughs> as we struggle. <laughs> This is a movie that that Amy wrote. You co-wrote with her, or uh, she? No, this is uh, Amy's uh, Amy's screenplay. I am the uh, director and the, the producer. Right. And how? I mean, how has that experience been working with Amy? I mean, this is sort of new. This is a this is a new a new person in your crew. Uh, yeah, you know, Amy is a fantastic writer. She really has a lot she wants to say. It's the best kind of person to collaborate with is somebody that, you know, has uh, opinions and visions and uh, a great, strong comic point of view. She wrote this script you know, pretty fast compared to a lot of other people. And, uh, you know, she has uh, worked as hard as anyone I've ever collaborated with. And she's just been a pleasure. She's like really funny and uh and really smart you know she's been doing her sketch show so she's very skilled about both production and acting uh and, and everything that goes into something like this she hasn't made a film before right but i like that because i think people just they're so into it when it's their first movie <laughs> you just get a level of passion that is uh ridiculously high you know some, you know people are willing to just stay up all night working and thinking uh, no one's mailing it in on the first one right and you find that that sort of the longer you're in the business, I guess that's with anything. The longer you're in the business, the more not that people are always mailing it in, but it's like a first date. Yeah. You know, you got to you got to come through. Or there won't be a second one. Right. So it doesn't mean the 25th date won't be great, but you you got to get the first one right or you won't get a phone call. Right. And so it, it is uh, different. And, and you know, sometimes when people have made a lot of movies. Uh, you get the feeling that you know they've said a lot of what they have to say right now everything she has to say has not been uh, put into a movie right so we have all of that to mine yeah yeah it's a, a very exciting you know after situation. Annie Hall you realize uh, you know Woody Allen said a lot about uh, <laughs> young relationships there's not like uh, Annie Hall 2 you know yeah. you get Manhattan right and before you know it you're doing uh, Broadway Danny Rose <laughs> and then you know, suddenly people are playing tennis and then uh, they're speaking French <laughs> I saw you at the cellar uh, a few days ago. That's very exciting to me, and I would imagine to comedy fans. You started up as started out obviously as a stand-up. You were what sixteen, seventeen when you? I was when, seventeen years old. I started at a East Side Comedy Club on Long Island, and Governors and Chuckles. Those were the clubs back in nineteen eighty-five, eighty-six, yeah. eighty-seven. Governors is still around, right? Governors is still there. And I, you know, I had a blast doing it, but I don't know how good I was. I did it from the time I was 17 till I was about 25 or 26. Yeah. Uh, and then I just got busy working on the Ben Stiller show and the Larry Sanders show. And there just didn't seem to be any time to focus on it. And I felt like the universe was telling me I was probably a better writer than a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm older, I, ha I have, uh, I have some stories and more things to say. And it's fun to do when you don't have to worry about feeding yourself yeah. by doing stand-up. You know, that puts a lot of pressure on you to be funny when right. if you can't get the, the clubs to like you and book you, you, you won't be able to pay your rent. Yeah. So I, I find it really freeing and fun. And I like doing it because there's no purpose to it other than a, as a way to express myself. I'm, you know, I'm not like 
attempting to appear anywhere yeah. or on TV or anything. It, it's just like a moment between me and the audience. And it forces me to think about what I'm thinking about. And uh, I, I've enjoyed it a great deal. So that's it. That it's what you're doing, you know, getting up there for 10 minutes at a clip. That's it in and of itself. That's just a way for you to kind of air out and... Yeah, it's been uh, a way to just wake up a part of my brain that's been dormant. I think it's made me uh, funnier and uh, put me in a better mood as we've made the movie. Oh, really? Because most nights after I direct, I go and do, and do a spot at the Comedy Cellar, and it's just it's just made me happier doing it. Yeah. Uh, and it's a fun challenge. I, you know, I, I've only uh, returned barely three months ago, but then you still have to go on after Louis C.K. and see if you can do well enough so the audience doesn't feel like something horrifying just happened. So, so, so people feel like they're watching basically the same kind of show. Right. feel like, wow, that was a big success. Uh, you know, they just uh, saw Hannibal Burris and I went on and they didn't turn to each other and go, what, what just went wrong? <laughs> Uh, so and every once in a while it goes very well and and when it goes badly uh, it, you know there's something kind of fun about that as well <laughs> you know it's it's so funny you see all these comics you know pe- comics that have been in, in television shows and have produced and have done movies you know your Chris Rocks and your Jerry Seinfelds they never stop they never stop stand up mm-hmm. It's just they can't. Even if they want to do, they they they, they just can't. Uh, I, I certainly get it. I, I can see that when you're that good and you can go out and play theaters and talk about everything uh, that's in your mind. You know, why would you stop? It, it's hard work. I, I you know I was uh, looking at Mark Maron's Twitter feed. Yeah. And I I saw him last week at the Comedy Cellar, and he was so funny. It was crazy. But then as I go through his feed, you know, he's talking about where he's at and he's, I'm in Sacramento tonight and everyone in Denver will be there this weekend. And I thought, man, you know why he's good? He's working his ass off. Yes, he's he out is. there. He's fully connected to the audience. This is real passion. And uh, you do have to work that hard to be at the highest level of it. And it's been fun for me just to, to do it enough that I appreciate how great everybody is. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I'm, you know, doing a set, you know, I'm struggling with how to make some point. And then someone else will come on. Like Alan Havey came on the other night. Yeah. And he just rips the house down. And I've been watching him do that since 1986, 87 is when I first met him. And I thought, wow, it's just, you know, it's, it's remarkable. These people are real, real artists. And, and especially the ones that just never stopped from when I, I stopped in 92. Right. Basically. And I'll just see people at the Comedy Cellar, and they, that, that whole time, they've been working their ass off, yep. and it shows people are killers out there. Yeah. So, so Bobby Collins, I, I went to see Bobby Collins the night of my high school prom. <laughs> he gets up there, he's rocking it. it it's just been uh, very inspiring. And then every once in a while, people come in to the Comedy Cellar, you know, that I haven't seen do stand-up in a long time who are out there like Ray Romano is shooting a Martin Scorsese pilot so he came in a bunch of times oh wow and you watch him and you think yeah this is one of the best guys who's ever done this yeah uh, and then I, I had to go on after Andrew Dice Clay one night oh god and he wasn't goofing around he was doing the the real set yeah it reminded me of when I saw Dangerfield at Westbury Music Fair just it was just a thousand jokes in 15 minutes yeah he's uh, and he's it, amazing it, it was really fun to <laughs> try not to uh, humiliate myself uh, after him uh, <laughs> and I got to see Chappelle you know playing around while he was in New York doing Radio City right and I saw Rock working on his uh, 
BET monologue right, that right, I've seen right. him do his the set he's working on for his next tour. So it's been like comedy camp for me. I, I've just been in 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 nerd heaven. Uh, watching everybody and, and being a small part of it again. Yeah, I was going to say, just listening to you talk, it's like your fandom has not, like you are so much a part of the comedy landscape these days. You're the guy, but and yet you are such a huge fan. You're still a fan of all these of all these oh, guys. absolutely. Like, I always came at this from being a fan. I only yeah. do anything so I have a reason to, you know, be around everyone and work with people. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way to interact with everybody but i you know i was always just like a goofy kid with my autograph book so the fact <laughs> i get to work with any of these people uh you know has always been a little bit of a miracle that i definitely appreciate right and uh i you know i'm i'm glad that i can you know be a part of it at all i you know i have to go back to la and i don't th- know if i'm gonna be able to do much stand-up once i leave but while i've been in new york by myself for part of the time while my family was having their summer uh, it's been fun to pretend to be a comedian again without the stresses of <laughs> of of trying to get booked at different clubs yeah it's a freeing it's got to be a, a very freeing experience so that's it you're it's not it's not like you're looking to record an hour or or do anything formal like that oh no or whatever so far away from that although it's fun because i could see how what it would take to do that yeah yeah so i've been able to perform a lot yeah um but i'm gonna have to stop in a couple of weeks mm. but you know I, I i thought oh wow so i've probably written about a half an hour of material of which maybe 13 minutes of it is pretty good and right. if i had another year <laughs> i might be able to get it up to 45 <laughs> minutes or 50 minutes if that's all I did. Right. But right. You know, I'm editing the movie and, uh, you know, we're uh, working on girls. Yeah. Have a bunch of other projects going. So we'll see if I can find a little small piece of time to continue to build the set at a much slower pace. Yeah. But it's not as good as everybody else. It's just more for me to uh, enjoy myself. So speaking of other projects, you have the new book has just recently been announced. Tell me a little bit about that. That's a, basically a collection of your interviews, right? Yeah. I, you know, over the years, I've interviewed a lot of comedians for different reasons, sometimes on stage during panels, on commentaries for magazine articles. And when I was a kid, I used to interview comedians uh, for this high school radio show right. I did. And that's how I first was able to be around comedians. I was a dishwasher and a busboy at Eastside Comedy Club when I was 15. And then I started interviewing comics and that was around 83, 84. And I did get to interview about 50 people like Jerry Seinfeld and Leno and Harry Anderson and Henny Youngman and a lot of people from Saturday Night Live, John Candy, Howard Stern. So I have all these interviews sitting around. Right. And I put out a book called I Found This Funny a couple of years ago, which was a lot of articles and sketches and uh, just writing I find funny, short stories. And it it was for Dave Eggers' 826 charity, which is Mm -hmm. for uh, free tutoring centers around the country for kids. So it occurred to me that I could put all these interviews I've done over the years in a book and give all the money to uh, 826 again. So we've been uh, compiling them. And then I've done a few new interviews for the book. So I interviewed Spike Jones and Louis C.K. and Roseanne Barr. And I'm about to do a few more 
over the next few months, and then that'll come out sometime next year. Nice. You know, it would be uh, interesting. Would you would you ever think of releasing some of the audio of those like? Uh, I, I, I probably will release some part of the audio to promote the book. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that'll be on a website or maybe I'll just pull some clips and go on Mark Maron's uh, podcast. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. But I'll probably play more of it for people when the book comes out. Right, 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 right. Do you, when you go back and listen to those, do you cringe? Or are you like, wow, I had some, I had some balls. No, it's pretty painful because I'm <laughs> so young and I have a very strong Long Island accent. So I'm like, so how do you write a joke? <laughs> and, and it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, I wasn't very smart. I wasn't a very smart kid. I had decent taste in comedians, but I, you know how you sometimes you hear about a kid like he wrote a novel at 12. Right. I was not that kid. I was an <laughs> idiot. And, uh, and it shows in most of the interviews. But people were very nice to me and they were very eloquent. So there are interviews where people uh, would really tell me how to write sketches and how to write movies and jokes and what the process was to getting accepted at clubs. It, you know, it was a great education. But mainly it made me feel like this was possible because, oh, that... That guy doesn't seem that different from me. He just worked hard. Right. So maybe I could do that. A lot of them were from Long Island. I was from Long Island. So it, it made it seem within reach. Right. It's amazing that, I mean, you say you weren't, you weren't smart, but I mean, uh, that takes a lot of, not to be corny, but street smarts to be able to just, I mean, you cold, you cold called these people. Oh, well, I definitely was uh, <laughs> deceitful. And uh, I felt the need to figure out how to get a job and able to work in life yeah I, I felt a lot of pressure uh to have a plan for how i was going to make a living yeah. so very early on i was working really hard to educate myself to do yeah to and do something so so yeah i was very ambitious that way and i you know i had you know a plan like okay i'm gonna start working really hard now if it takes 10 years to make it i'll be 25 or 26 or 27 right and so i wanted to start very early and I, my grandfather produced jazz, and when he was really young, he used to go down south with a tape recorder and record a lot of the great blues artists on their stoops, you know, like in the in the 40s. So I, I was always aware that there was a, a type of uh, entrepreneurial spirit that I could tap into yeah. uh, to create my own future and not just climb the normal ladders that people climb. Right. And it was comedy because your 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 mom worked at the comedy club. Is that when my parents got divorced? My mom uh, took a job at the East End Comedy Club, which is in Southampton back then in okay. eighty three, eighty four. Uh, and there was a guy uh, who who worked at my parents' restaurant that they owned when I was a kid named Rick Messina, and then he opened up this comedy club and was part of East Side Comedy Club, and later went on and still uh, manages. Tim Allen and uh, Drew Carey mm -hmm. uh, but he was very very nice to me and it, you know he, he, he gave my mom a job hostessing there one summer and then gave me a job as a waiter and a busboy uh, at Eastside Comedy Club and uh, that's you know how I was first exposed to it and at that time Rosie O'Donnell was first starting out she was there all the time yeah uh, Eddie Murphy was still coming in when he was 21 years old so you would see him wow every once in a while and then just a lot of the great Long Island legends like Rob Bartlett and Bob Nelson were there all the time I still see his name Bob Nelson I used to me and a friend <laughs> childhood friend we used to watch his 
I guess it was an HBO special. Yeah. Over and over and over again. We were we were like in seventh eighth grade. Yeah. Just obsessed with Bob Nelson. <laughs> oh, he was so funny, and he used to do one night a week was just the Bob Nelson show. I forgot what day it was. It might have been Monday or something, and he would just do these long sets and he would do these amazing improvisations where he would turn a radio on and he would just channel surf through a, a, all the stations on a radio and whatever type of music played he would improvise a scene okay you know if it was an elevator music station he would suddenly do a scene at the dentist office if it was you know a deep purple song suddenly he would do a funny scene like at a bar right and it was remarkable now you're obviously kind of embedded in in the comedy world do you actively watch stand-up comedy either on television or uh, at clubs or is it basically you're exposed to new stand-up just when you're at the cellar or how do you find new comedy? I haven't been around stand-up for a very long time. I got really burnt out on it from doing it. Yeah. And I only went to see just a few stand-ups, mainly friends for a really long time yeah then maybe in the last three or four years i started trying to catch up and watching people's specials on comedy central going to see shows in la at largo and places like that not really the comedy clubs but more little concerts the little theaters uh, yeah and and uh, you know I, I began to find people i liked but even now i'm just beginning to catch up on who's doing what yeah and i think it's a great time people are really doing amazing work and i have to say for a really long time unless it was like chris rock or something i didn't really watch much stand-up and i really didn't enjoy stand-up that much and now i i feel like i took a long enough break where everyone really makes me laugh and i have a whole new appreciation for what people are yeah are doing i feel like my my burnt outness is over yeah, that's it's it's incredibly overwhelming. I mean, obviously, I, I try to stay on top of it and I find myself getting really, really overwhelmed and you start to feel bad. You start to feel guilty because you're like, oh, my God, this this is my passion. And now I I'm sort of I'm sort of hating it. Yeah, and you I never mean, want to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, if you well, if you watch too much of anything, if all you did was listen to jazz trumpet all day long, <laughs> your entire life, at some point you'd want to kill yourself. And I think it's the same way. If you're watching too much stand-up comedy, you, you just begin to see the seams on the ball. Uh, so they're, they're well, it's your business, so you have no choice. Uh, you know, but for other people like myself, you, you can be a little more selective about who is making you happy. Right, right, and it's good to have. It's good to have that that balance because you want you want to be able to uh do your full-time job but you also want to be able to kind of be creative without any like repercussions yeah. uh you know if you mess this movie up then you know that's not so good but if you mess up your you know your 10 minute set you well, can, that's you can part still of what's fun about it i mean <laughs> it's fun because a movie you work on it for years and then in, in a weekend you know if it's been rejected or accepted yeah. or somewhere in the middle but it's there's a lot of pressure and then it's just over. It's out there. People are liking it. They're not liking it. Uh, what's fun about stand-up set is it's just, you know, it's just there for that moment. And then it's gone, good or bad. It's just a moment in time that you share with a group of people. And uh, that is uh, something I really enjoy because the pressure to, you know, make a movie for millions and millions of dollars and have it work out for the studio and the actors and writers you're working with is, uh, it, it's tremendous. And I, I take it on. I really want to do well by everybody. And 
so I'm thinking about it 24 hours a day. You know, what can I do to make this movie work? Right. In all respects. But it's it's a release to go, oh, I can just go dick around in the <laughs> set and talk about some things that are not even fully formed thoughts and see if something happens. Right. And, and it's a very different experience. Yeah. I noticed that a, a lot of your set is, uh, you know, a lot of family stuff, which I, uh, I really enjoy. I have two small kids and I'm married and I, I do enjoy when a comic is able to kind of connect with people in somewhat similar situations without being, you know, totally vanilla or total hackneyed. Does your family, have they heard your stand up or? Uh, my daughter came and saw me one night. Yeah. And uh, she's 16 years old and she had a fun night. She got to see Amy Schumer and Michael Che. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, she's a big Bo Burnham fan. Yeah. And great. she's beginning to watch some stand up. She got a kick out of it. Nobody else in the family has, uh, has seen it, but it's, you know, it's fun to talk about the challenges of uh, trying to do a good job. You know, I think we all feel pressure to not screw up our responsibilities as uh, parents and family people. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, it's a little bit of an extension of what I'm talking about in the movies more in a monologue. Right. Just, you know, things I'm neurotic about and I'm trying to get right. And it's fun to look people in the eye and talk to real people and say, how are you doing with this? Right. How's that working out for you? I'm having trouble with this part. How's it working out for you? Right. And, uh, and so that connection is kind of fun. If I remind myself like, oh, you know, this club isn't, you know, it's not a thousand people. I can actually make a, a real connection yeah. with the people there. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's fun for me because I feel like we're all overwhelmed. We don't know how to do it right. We're all terrified and it's fun to kick that around with a group of people yeah i mean that's i mean that's why i became obsessed with stand-up comedy because there's that one guy or one girl on stage laying it out there and it's 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 proof that there's somebody else in the world that you know is just as fucked up as as i am or just you know they have the same thoughts and that and that connection is real that's I mean, I don't even know if I watch stand-up comedy to laugh. I, <laughs> well, that's, that, I, that's a good observation. I think uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just want to know other people are suffering in the same way. I mean, when we did This Is 40, you know, for some people, uh, it was hard to watch because it was talking about a lot of real-life problems. And then for other people, they just said, thank God, it made me feel so much less crazy yeah. knowing that other people are dealing with the same obstacles to happiness. Uh, and... You know, that's what I, I like to do uh, with, with all the movies is say, hey, this is kind of what is uh, complicated for me. Here's how I'm struggling through it. And maybe if I'm honest enough about it, someone else feels a little better uh, about, how, you know, how it affects them in their lives. God, yeah. We I was actually we I was rewatching This is 40 the other night with my wife and she had never seen it. And that scene uh, towards the end where Paul Rudd and and uh, your wife are having this, you know, the fight about, you know, would we even still be together if, you know, we didn't have the kid 14 years ago? Uh, and like, there's just that pause, you know, he doesn't say he doesn't say anything. There's just a pause. And my wife looks at me and she's like, that's so sad. I'm like, dude, that shit is real. That's <laughs> real. Well, I think in some respects, most couples feel that way. Right. Whether or not it's from having a baby or deciding to get married, you're just leaping into a gigantic commitment. Yeah. And it's awesome. But, uh, you know, when it gets bumpy, 
you know, I think everyone, especially when you get older, you think, wow, I really committed to this. This was the call. This is it. You know, how do I feel about it? <laughs> and I think, you know, for most of us, we feel like, oh, I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have this commitment. But every once in a while, the train just goes off the tracks. Yeah. And you, you lose sight of things and then you find your way back. And that's what that movie was about. But just things come up and you get busy, you get crazy, you get overwhelmed, and then you, you slowly find your way back home. Yep. Yep. Uh, and those, uh, not to keep talking about this as 40, but I, I mean, I do, and not to kiss your ass, but I, I do really appreciate that film. You know, those scenes with with Paul Rudd retreating into the bathroom playing on his iPad. I didn't know again, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. I thought that was a thing I did. Yeah. I feel shitty about it until then I saw the movie. I'm like, "Oh, like that's that's a thing people do." So well, uh, people just get tired. <laughs> Someone you just want to play Scrabble. <laughs> you know, you're trying so hard not to fuck anything up. Yeah. And so there's just something about just reading the entertainment page of Huffington Post it just, <laughs> it's a form of meditation in some way you're just getting to shut down your nerves yeah because you don't know if you're doing a good job when you're raising kids you just don't know like I think this is right I'm you know I'm trying my best to give them the right advice to know where what their boundaries should be when to be hard on them when to go easy on them yeah uh, but then you're just scared that you're wrong and so you just kind of want to sit on the toilet for an extra five minutes and <laughs> Zone out and give yourself a break. Yeah, nobody can bother you. If I say I have to go to the bathroom, my wife can't be like, no, you don't. Oh, they can. They can tell you. (laughs) My wife used to just see, she would just suddenly see that I was tweeting while I was in the bathroom. (laughs) She'd be like, what are you doing? I know you're not doing anything because you're (laughs) tweeted 11 times in the last two minutes. (laughs) You can tweet and take a poop at the same time. Exactly. Why not? That's, it's also so good to put that kind of bacteria on your iPad. You know what you need to do is go to a GI doctor and have him uh, give you a note that says you have like irritable bowel or something. I think you think thoughts like that when you're married. You're like, (laughs) is there something I could do to myself where I'd get injured enough (laughs) to be left alone for a period of time? Like you definitely have that thought. Like if I threw myself off the balcony and just broke my (laughs) leg, everyone would have to take care of me for six months. Do you ever say to yourself I wish someone would just punch me in the fucking face uh, I understand the instincts uh, do you know what I mean I don't I've been f- writing about a little bit of yeah? like how you get to a place of uh, wanting to be knocked out yeah or you know like I've sometimes I'll see like a celebrity go to rehab for exhaustion and right. I think what do I need to do <laughs> to be allowed to do that <laughs> like do I need to just you know I don't know pull a gun on a street corner somewhere like what would get me the exhaustion vacation right Uh, and it's but i think that's because people don't really talk about it but i think people really are overwhelmed and you just want to get knocked out yeah yeah i mean i I always think of it more in terms of throwing myself off of a balcony but it's the same basic idea of like i just want to rest i want you know because once you have children there is no break for the rest of your life you're always worried about them and that's the great part about it but also the stressful part and so you do you know think about uh what would uh what would what what would be a real break and for you it's getting punched in the face (laughs) and i I assume it's by a hooker 
He didn't say that. I mean, but even, I assume that's part of it. If she has a good punch, yeah, whatever, whatever's gonna lay me out. Yeah, but it's by your wife. You want her to punch you? No, or anybody. No, anybody. Unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. I like the idea of being the, being the victim because what? Well, oh well, what can I do? It was somebody punched me. Exactly. If I flung myself off a bridge, then it's like, well, I did that. See, I haven't uh, improved my theory. My theory is all about uh, self-injury. Uh-huh. I never think about someone else injuring me. Oh, yeah. And maybe I'll add that to how I approach it. No, no, no. I don't want to I don't want to change the way yeah. you you want to I don't want to get punched. Get hurt. No? No, I've never really I've never been punched <laughs> in the face. I don't want to be. <laughs> Once in like 4th grade some like 3rd grader punched me in the face really hard for no reason and then laughed. And never really got over it. For no reason? Yeah, for no reason. Just some weird kid. It's a strange kid. Your family's in LA now? Or are they coming back and forth? Uh, well, I'm done in a week and a half. Most of my family's here, and then oh, they're uh, here. Okay. I'm done. Then I head home, and we start editing and seeing. What we, we see what happened. Amazing. This is an amazing process, Job. Well, it's been fun. You know, we've done it a bunch of times. You know, uh, and uh, you know, if we have a good script that we've rehearsed and table read, and then when we shoot, we just get a lot of options and have a bunch of different paths through our story. Uh, usually, uh, in editing, you know, we find something that. Uh, that we like a lot. Amy wrote a great script and that's 95% of it. Yeah. And uh, in addition to it, we've gotten a ton of other things. Bill Hader has been hilarious. We've had a lot of great supporting actors like John Cena and Tilda Swinton and Vanessa Bear and John Glazer and Randall Park. And uh, we're about to shoot a lot with LeBron James, which is going to be fun. <laughs> we had Amari Stottlemyre uh, in the film, uh, Colin Quinn. So Mike Birbiglia, uh, Brie Larson I mean there's so many Talented people in the movie uh, That I feel like we have a good shot At doing something very special With the story Because it's a great story Yeah I'm looking forward to Oh the, the other thing I wanted to Ask you about Before I let you go The Simpsons episode Yes That's out in January Oh January Okay Yeah I went to them I went to watch them Record it recently And I have to say As a comedy nerd One of my favorite things I've ever done I went to the table read And then a couple of days later just in a little small studio there's the simpsons just all of them right there <laughs> it's like there's the simpsons and like me and a writer and a script supervisor and then they record all the lines a bunch of times and i don't know if people realize how funny those people are you know to watch dan castellanetta do it and to see how much of that show is brilliant because of his brilliance and the brilliance of all of the actors on it yeah i mean the choices that he's making and the timings are stunning in their insight and hilarity i really was blown away i felt like i felt like i was watching jackie gleason you know, really? shoot the honeymooners or something it, it was uh everyone's all you have that you, know, you watch someone like you watch dave chappelle at radio city music hall and you think oh yeah this is one of the greatest people who've ever done it doing it as well as he's ever done it yep that's how you feel watching you know the cast of the simpsons read that, an episode out loud yeah but hank azaria's choices on the first read are so unique i mean i read it i worked on some of the writing of it with the staff 
but I didn't think he would say it like that. Right, right. And it's a hundred times funnier. <laughs> uh, so I'm very excited. I think I think the episode's very good. I wrote it when The Simpsons had only aired six times. Right. I was going to say this is this is a script that yeah. you wrote and has been revived. Yeah. So they so the staff you know took a major run at uh, rewriting the vast majority of it. Uh, and thank God they did because they're so funny. But the basic core idea is the same as uh, when I wrote it way back then, and uh, and I think it works very well. And works in the way I thought it would when uh, I conceived of it. But it's way better because you know a dozen of the funniest people on earth right. <laughs> fixed everything that I had wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, so that's January. That's good to know. That is January. Very, very exciting. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you in my own trailer. Thank you for letting me sit here in your trailer. It's nicely air-conditioned. It's an exercise ball you could use to stretch your back out on. It's nice. Do you use that for your for your core or that's uh, core, stretching, sitting? Uh, but mainly, I just look at it and don't yeah. use it. Yeah, my mom has one of those. She doesn't use it. Yeah. Well. Just one of the many ways I'm like your mom. <laughs> All right, take Th care. Thank you, Judd. And there you have it, guys. Judd Apatow, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Laugh Spin Podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you to Judd for taking the time. I mean, the dude was literally working. So this is this was like in between in between takes, in between scenes or something. I'm not a, I don't make movies. I don't I don't know what it was in between, but it was in between and he was on set and he was working. So huge thanks to him for letting me sit down with him uh, to chat for a few minutes. And uh, also wanted to give props to Amanda, his assistant, who was super great helping me set this up. So props to her, props to Judd. Props to you guys for checking out the Laugh Spin Podcast. If you're not a subscriber, please get to iTunes and subscribe. Leave a review, or you can check us out on SoundCloud or Stitcher or allthingscomedy.com, which is our podcast network. And, of course, you're going to want to check out LaughSpin.com every day, many times a day. Thanks again for checking out the Laugh Spin Podcast. I really do appreciate it. My name is Dylan. I am the editor of LaughSpin.com. I will see you guys very soon. Bye.